Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little boy named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed, naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. Thanks for supporting us for the past 100 episodes. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support us by visiting our Patreon page, where you can find out how you can join us for our monthly patron webinar, where we do a deeper dive discussion about all things perimenopause. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Welcome back, everyone, to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast. Today, I have Tara Grado on. We're going to talk about parenting. We haven't discussed this topic for a while. And I came across Tara when I was doing a Mamas & Co. workshop, and she was leading it, talking about my body, my choice, so helping empower kids around consent um, in respect to their body. So we have a, an expert here with us today, and I'll first introduce Tara, and then we'll jump in. But Tara Grotto is the founder of Raising Resilient Children, a longtime educator and former preschool owner. She supports parents with tools and skills for feelings, kindness, and everyday mental well-being. Her signature framework, the language of kindness, makes parenting easier while fostering connection and building essential life skills with children. Tara focuses on supporting busy parents with tools for today to Tomorrow and life. Welcome, Tara. Hello. Thank Hello. you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I loved when I heard you speak just a few weeks ago. I'm like, I have to have her on. These are, these are some topics we haven't dived deep into, and they're so important. But first, I'd like to get a sense of your background. It sounds like you have a lot of skills to bring to the table. How did it evolve to becoming the founder of Raising Resilient Children? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's quite an evolution for me. So I've been an educator for over 20 years. Um and I've I've worked with children as long as I can remember. So even before that, I was a nanny while I was in university, that kind of thing. Um, but I started my sort of interest in social emotional skills. So that's the feelings, the kindness, empathy, that kind of stuff, when I was working on my master's in education. So my master's is in what's now known as social emotional skills at the time it was called experiential education because um, really talking about feelings and empathy it's only about we've only been doing it for about eight ten years now so it's it's fairly new if you will um, but when I was working on my master's I was looking at how can we use literacy and picture books and if you follow me on Instagram you'll see I talk about books a lot so how can we use books to help children build skills for feelings and kindness and for me at the time, it was about how can we address bullying? And it's really evolved to a lot more than that since then. So it starts then and it's evolved. I've worked in guidance, administration, classrooms, and for seven and a half years, I owned a preschool. 
And that time was when I learned really about child development, like at its core. So really young children and how do we support parents and what does that look like? And something I learned is when you support parents with some everyday tools for feelings and kindness, it makes everybody's life easier, your life, your child's life, and all the communities they belong to. So that's a really important part of what I've been doing for the last, I guess, 20 years. <laughs> wow. So you've had quite the experience and you obviously have a yeah. lot of patience working with, with kids for <laughs> yes. so long and you have your own kids too, correct? For sure. Yeah. My kids are a bit older now. So my youngest is 10 and a half and my, my oldest is 12. So yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> Too bad. They're not younger. I'd want them to hang out with Stuart so he could like learn by osmosis what you, what you've taught them. I'm sure they're a great example. Um, but yeah, talking about patience, I know you have um, information on what to do when we lose our cool. Cause I thought I was a patient person until I had Stuart and you had then, children. You know, you're tested <laughs> over and over. You're like, really, can you not just put your shoes on like without yes. a fight? Um, so I try not to lose my cool. There's the odd time, you know, my voice gets raised. I say something I don't want to. So how can we lose our cool less as parents? Yeah, or even absolutely. in life. <laughs> in life. Yeah, absolutely. So this is sort of one of my areas that I've really started to talk a lot about because it's this idea that we have a notion that we have the option of not losing our cool. So first of all, never losing your cool is actually not healthy, right? We all have to experience a range of emotions. What it becomes is how do we lose our cool, right? So that's sort of the mindset. I see, you know, there's a lot of information out there. Never yell, never lose your cool. And I see that stuff and I'm like, that's impossible. We're <laughs> not robots. We're people who have feelings too. Parents have a whole range of feelings. And when I became a mother, I I've always, as you noted, <laughs> noted already, I'm, I'm quite a patient person, but when I had children, I was like, oh, what, wh what is this, this lack of patience that you have for a lot of people's children, but not as much for your own. Um, but one of the things that I sort of dig into helping people see, we come from a world where emotions were meant to be suppressed. And I mentioned earlier how we've only really been talking about social emotional intelligence for about eight or so years. So a lot of people sort of grew up under the structure that the more you suppressed your feelings, the stronger you were, right? The better you were. Um, and it's only been recently where we said, hey, emotions are a really important part of us. Now, what I've seen is, is the flip happen, right? We went from emotional suppression and now we sort of have opened the floodgates and parents are really trying hard to parent with intention and make some space for feelings. Here's the missing piece though. Most people have never developed tools or skills for navigating those feelings because we didn't grow up learning those tools and skills. So where did we magically learn these things? So unless you work in a field of like counseling or something like that, you probably were never exposed or very, very minimally exposed to building some skills for feelings. So one of the things I like to talk about is think about emotional regulation and think about losing your cool as if you're building skills to learn a new language, to pick up a new sport, maybe you're going to learn a new art, right? It's a skill just like any other skill, and we have to practice it to get better at it. We have to fail at it to learn from it. So it's actually sort of a trajectory. And I think a lot of times people are like, parents should just be patient and parents should never lose their cool. And one of the things I say is, 
parents need the opportunity to practice some tools and skills that work for them to lose their cool less. So that's kind of like the area that I talk quite a bit about when I'm sharing what does social emotional intelligence mean? What does emotional regulation mean? Well, it means so much more than just don't do it, right? Mm. Just because you're an adult, somehow you magically know how to keep yourself calm? Well, no, actually, you probably never learned and you're going to have to practice and think about some strategies. And I dig into it. I have an, I have an on-demand course on my website that's free. And I dig into this. How do we start doing that? What kinds of things can you do every day? How can you start building up that like extracurricular activity of emotional regulation? I love it. Yeah. So it sounds like, um, yeah, it's a practice. We want to, you know, work on it. It's not going to come second nature because that's pretty shocking that this has only been studied for the last eight to 10 years. It's probably one of the most important things as a human being. Well, before it was just, just behave, right? Just listen, just, and I think that's why a lot of parents are struggling because they don't want to say that to their children. They don't want to say, just do what I say. But they're, they're like, well, what do I, how do I get my kid to put their shoes on? I don't want to just sort of authoritarily tell them this, but now I, I don't know how to get them to do it. Right. And part of that is how do I deal with their disappointment? How do I deal with them pushing back on my boundaries? How do I, and that's, that's the emotional regulation piece. How do I build myself some tools and at the same time, because we're busy parents and we don't have time for dual things. How do I, at the same time, teach my child? these skills. So when they're growing up, they have them, right? They don't have to learn them as adults because as we know, learning things as adults is not super easy, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's much easier for children to learn them. So if we're learning and helping our children learn alongside us, part of what we tell ourselves is, yes, this is hard work, but I am paving the way for my child to not have to have this be hard work for them. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes sense. So it's putting in that legwork and it's for ourselves. And then as they grow up, they're going to have these skills. It's going to be second nature. So you talked about having it like looking at it kind of like learning a new language or a new sport. So what are some small things? I know you dive into this into your online offering, but what are some small things we can do preventatively to kind of warm up to, you know, being more patient and not losing our cool as much? And then what are some things we can do in the moment when our emotions are at their highest level. Yeah. Yeah. So stage one is awareness. So one of the things you have to do is step back and say, where am I losing my cool? What kinds of things are happening that I'm losing my cool consistently or inconsistently, right? So that's where you step back and say, every time we going, excuse me, every time we're going out the door to daycare or every time we're going out the day to school, I lose my cool. That's where we say, oh, That's a moment where I need to build some skills. I need to help my child build some skills, right? So so step one is awareness. Where am I losing my cool? Every time my child uses this whiny voice, I lose my cool, right? That's step one, because if we don't sort of stop and think, hey, where are my, what we call triggers, where are these pieces in my day that ramp me up? We can't build the skills effectively, right? We can't build your skills or your child's skills to be able to navigate that. And then step two is, and I think this is something that a lot of people try, right? Breathing is an amazing tool, awesome tool. I will tell you, I've worked with hundreds of kids who will tell me breathing is the worst thing on the planet. It is boring. (laughs) It is stupid. I don't want to do it, right? 
they don't see the point in it. I like to use the example of swimming when I when I talk about breathing in children. When you see a swimming pool, you know that you have to get from one end to the pool, excuse me, one end of the pool to the other end of the pool. And you know that's going to require some skills, right? It's pretty clear. You could get across. Could you get across safely? Probably not, right? Whereas if you've done some practice, learned some strokes, you can get from one side to the other. Tools for emotional regulation are no different. Breathing, sure, we breathe every day. Can we breathe effectively in tricky moments if we never practice it in calm moments? Probably not, right? So one of the things that happens quite a bit is we only ask kids to breathe when things are not going well. So they kind of have a little light bulb that goes goes off that says, oh, the only time my parent asked me to do this is when things are not going well. So things are not going well right now. So therefore, it's not a tool for emotional regulation, right? They're not feeling calm because it's the only time they breathe. So one of the things we have to say is, okay, if we're going to use breathing as a tool, which is probably one of the best tools because it's with us wherever we are, the grocery store, the car, the TTC, the whatever, right? If it's the tool we have with us, when are we going to practice it in fun, engaging ways so that we can use it in difficult moments? How are we going to make that fun? How are we going to, are we going to do it before bed? Are we going to do it every morning? Are we going to, so there's different ways that we can help kids. And I have like some fun things like butterfly breathing and dragon breathing. Like I really get kids into it. So that's part one. The part two is we often ask kids what they want to do to calm down instead of just doing it. So for example, do you want to do some breathing? We need to skip that step because they're dysregulated. And I talk about this in my course. When you're dysregulated, your brain stops working. You can't make decisions and little people can't make decisions at all. Us adults, we're used to being stressed so we can think a little bit better when we're dysregulated. Kids can't at all. So we have to skip that asking step and just do it. So we're feeling dysregulated. We see them feeling dysregulated. We just got to breathe. We don't need their permission. Because the truth is, we're now modeling, this is what we do when we've lost our cool. We need to do some breathing. We need to do some counting backwards from 10 to 1. If you have young kids, I recommend 5 to (laughs) 1. I I recommend going from the top to the bottom. Because if you count from 1 to 10, there's 11, there's 12, there's, there's forever. Whereas if you go from 10 to one, you have an end point where you can go 10, nine, eight, and then you can take a big, deep breath, right? And you just got to model that. So no matter what they're doing, by you hopping straight into that emotional regulation, you're showing them we're dysregulated. We're having, we've lost our cool. And when we lose our cool, we need a tool. And one of the best tools is breathing. And I'm showing you. So I, I don't need the child to agree with me. They're just learning by watching me and maybe they'll join me and maybe they won't, but they're part of that process of seeing it. And that's how they learn. Aha. When we lose our cool, we need to breathe. Not should we breathe? Can we breathe? Would you like to breathe? No look, my caring adult is just breathing. 
I love that. Yeah. So first, uh, stepping back and having that awareness, because it's like, okay, it's not working when we're trying to leave the leave the house in the morning. So let's give ourselves some time. Let's have a plan. I always think of it like process improvement when when things are going the way you want it to. And then I love that you're um, recommending. So practicing the breathing outside of those moments. So it's a regular practice for them so they can see and and relate that to being calm and in a peaceful state. And then just being directive, like not asking questions when it's in the heat of the moment. So doing the breathing ourselves and having them join in or mimic us. So these are all such valuable tools. I love it. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. I call it dino brain, right? That sort of moment when when the reptile brain takes over and we can't think. Um, And children, it's so rare to get them to agree. And if you have a child that's sort of five-ish, the more you try to force them into emotional regulation, the more they push back because they're in that state of like, don't tell me how I feel. Don't tell me what to do. Don't, don't. Right. But if you just confidently lead, they're like, oh, this is, this is what's happening. There's no room for, you know, us to fight right now. There's no room for us to have an argument. This is my parent just started doing this and we're not talking right now. We're just going to have some calming down time. Mm-hmm. Just it's an action and activity, definitely. Yeah. I love that. Is there a favorite breathing exercise you have for kids? Like I know they're learning different ones at school where they, yeah. you know, as they go up the side of one finger, they breathe in. Yeah. As they go down the other side of the finger, they breathe out. What do you find? I guess, you know, it depends on the child, of course, but what's one that seems to be the most popular? So five finger breathing is the one you just talked about. And that's, that is very popular with kids. It's also a great one for adults because you can just do it. Um, you can just put your hand out and get them to trace your hand, or you can just start doing it. That's a really great one. I am also a big proponent of like sort of the fun ones, like a really popular one with the kids I've worked with is, is what I call butterfly breathing. And that's where, if you can imagine, you open your arms up, like you're a big butterfly, you take a big breath in and then you breathe out and you bring your wings in and give yourself a hug. Um, and kids really like that. And here's like a little tip. When you do that kind of breathing in a difficult moment, they get distracted. So they, they stop to fo- stop focusing on the sort of difficult moment and they just are like, oh, butterfly, right, butterfly. Like, so it takes them into this calm state. It helps flip what I call the dino brain, helps them flip out a dino brain to being like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this bo- big body movement. I'm breathing and I'm no longer focused on this thing I was very upset about. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a really good one. I'm going to introduce that one to Stuart because I haven't heard of that before. And lately, Stuart's actually been when there's like a quiet moment on the walk home from school, he actually wants to sit down in that moment. He sits in this stereotypical meditative pose and fingers together and takes a <laughs> right? few breaths. So I get a kick okay. out of it. I know the cars going by are like, what is going what on? Is but doing? I just let him have his moment. So I'm glad they're that's practicing hilarious. that at school in calm moments. I, that's something I can bring into the household a little bit bit more. And then I'm really trying to, when I'm starting to lose my cool, I, I try to narrate to Stuart, like, okay, I'm starting to feel really upset. My heart yes. rate's increasing. I'm getting a little bit warm. So I try to, I try to do that. Is that a good activity to do as well? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, it can be. The one area of caution I will put in is when we're in dino brain, we're not in a learning space. Mm-hmm. So narration is an amazing tool and it can be a great way of showing like, you going through regulation, right? So maybe you say something like, I'm really starting to lose my cool. I need to do some deep breathing. 
And we would loop back on some of the other pieces when things are calm, right? The, the sort of bigger pieces of like, I was starting to feel my heart rate. I was starting to, when he's in a learning headspace, because when Mm. he's upset, so if it's just you losing your cool and he's not losing his cool, that's a great way to use full narration. I call it narration where we just like talk through things. Now, if he is also dysregulated, if he's also in dino brain, he's not learning or hearing anything you're saying, Mm -hmm. literally nothing. So that's where we get really confident with our okay, I'm losing my cool. I need to take a step back. I'm losing my cool. I need to do some breathing. I'm losing my cool. Right. And I also say to parents, like one of the sort of big tools out there introduced by Dan Siegel um, and Tanya Bryson was, was name it to tame it. I don't know if you've heard this. I have. Uh, Yeah. 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 I don't know if our listeners have. So if you're able to explain that. Sure. So name it to tame it is where you help um, yourself or a child identify their feelings. Now, one of the ways name it to tame it works is that the person who's feeling the feeling has to identify with the feeling. And something I found as a preschool owner and my, with my own children was naming children's feelings for them doesn't go super well, like Mm -hmm. at all. They tend to get pretty angry. Actually, it works for really young children, right? Sort of the three, four under, But kind of after that, it can actually escalate things. And what I found is it's really important to get them to identify their feelings. So in the moment, I might say something like, hey, it seems like you're having really big feelings. We need to do breathing or whatever other tools. There's so many breathing is only one tool. There's many tools that you can use Um, and whatever tools you've been practicing are the ones you would pull out of your little toolbox. But I would say something like, hey, Seems like you're having some big feelings. Let's do some breathing, right? That sort of confident statement. And then I work on helping children build their feelings words outside of difficult moments. So I love using picture books or that's where I use narration. Mm -hmm. For example, let's say I was expecting a package and it doesn't come. I would make a big deal. I'd be like, I was expecting a package today and it's really frustrating for me that it didn't come. And I think I need to take a little like step back and do some counting because, you know, that that frustrating feeling gave me some anger feelings, right? Mm -hmm. So I would use an example in my daily life and I just taught my child about frustration and it didn't involve them because they were in a calm state of mind. They were watching me instead of during a difficult moment, right? Where I, where a child, let's say a child's super angry and you're like, you seem to have some angry feelings and then they get more escalated and you're like, whoa, I was just trying to be helpful. Again, it's like the breathing. Don't tell me how I feel. Feelings are so personal, right? So in their little brain, they're like, you tell me to breathe. You tell me how I feel like this is me and I don't like that, but they're so dysregulated. They can't express that. So one of the important parts of name it to tame it is that the person who's feeling the feelings has to identify themselves with the feeling to be able to help them calm down. So when we do work in our sort of life, that's that, remember those skills I was talking about, that extracurricular emotional building skill stuff. Yeah. When we have a conversation at the dinner table to talk about excited feelings and we have a conversation when our package doesn't come, or we we say that we're proud about the dinner that we made, when when we use narration in our sort of mundane life, that's how we help children in the moment, be able to identify the feelings that they're having so that they identify with them versus us assigning the feelings to them. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to use that. That's a great way to implement narration in those moments yeah, where, they're, where they're not emotionally involved, but something has happened that I'm feeling a certain emotion. And it amazed me too, because I've been hearing Brene Brown talk about her newest book, Atlas of the Heart, just how right. many emotions we don't necessarily understand or use the mm. correct word. But with kids, I know we can keep it you know, more simple, but they, you know, they sometimes get confused with like frustrated or angry or you know, sad or hopeless. So just trying to explain and our vocabulary too, when we're picking out words to use can be a challenge. Yes. And I think, so this is like, if you, if there's an area that's like a huge passion of mine, this is it. How do we help kids build their, I call it their emotional vocabulary, right? How do we do that? And like, there's a great book called the way I fit the way I feel by Jan and Kane. It's one of my favorite picture books on feelings because it starts to tackle some of these nuances um, I think, I mean, the interesting thing about Brené Brown's work is I think part of what's missing from our world is we avoid the uncomfortable feelings, right? That's one of the reasons we lose our cool. It's one of the reasons we don't have tools. We avoid uncomfortable feelings, but we're trying to raise kids with a different mindset, which means we as adults got to start tackling and identifying those uncomfortable feelings, right? Guilt, disappointment, jealousy, right? The things that we try to like fix, the things that we maybe don't sit with super well, those are the ones that I see, right? Those are the ones I'm like, haha, we need to do some, some skill building in these areas. And an important part of skill building is definitely first being able to identify them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, I, I love that you mentioned that book. Do you link to or recommend books on your website so we can link to that page as well? I think yes. parents so, will want to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. So on my Instagram, there's tons of books and I am actually building on my website, a book resource library. Um, Cause I have a really unique approach to how to read books and how you as a parent can use books in sort of a really special way. Um, so I'm actually building an entire library on grief, for example. Here's these great books about grief that you can read. Consent, as you saw in my workshop with Mamas and Co., right? I had all the books that I recommended. And then I have some ideas for how you can approach reading those books to build these skills in really intentional ways. So that is coming soon. Stay (laughs) tuned. So you'll just have to follow Tara and you'll get access to these very important books. Do you have any movies or TV shows that may help with kids identifying their emotions? I know there's, oh, what's the one with those little emotion balls? Oh, I can't remember what Oh, it's Inside Out. Inside Out, right. I guess that's yeah, one that jumps out for me. One. But are there any movies or TV shows that you find useful to help kids identify um, their emotions and potentially work through them? So I'm actually not a big advocate of technology, not because mm-hmm. I dislike it, um, just because for learning, I, I really focus on the importance of literacy and conversations connection, like human connection. So I don't actually have any recommendations in that area um, just because of my focus on literacy and and trying to get parents and kids connected through conversation and narration and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's so important too. And I'll explain my experience with some of the books I got for Stuart after seeing you speak. So that has been really valuable, but that'll be part of my super mom. And then maybe the mama messed up, but we'll get to that later. Amazing. (laughs) But oh, I love everything you're sharing. 
saying, I love this conversation around naming our emotions. You know, we separate ourselves from them a little bit. Like it's not us, but you're feeling right. Like not like I am sad, but it's like, I'm feeling sad right now. I'm feeling frustrated because that package didn't come. And then you also talk a lot about the language of kindness. You have like a framework built around that. Can you explain what that is? Sure. So the language of kindness, I I realize that I use language as an example quite a bit, but I think it's such a great sort of analogy, right? The process of learning another language means you have to start small and build up and practice and make mistakes and maybe have the wrong accent, that kind of stuff. So I often use it um, in, in a lot of my work language of emotions, language of kindness. Um, So the language of kindness is the framework that I developed as a preschool owner. And I developed it because as a preschool owner, I had such a strong focus on kindness in general. Kindness to me is not a cliche. Kindness really is what links us together. Um, I believe really deeply that kindness is a part of everything that we do. Um, and the, the fancy name for it is empathy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the language of kindness is basically rooted in three things, and that is kindness to self. So that's our inner voice, our self-confidence, the way we treat, treat ourselves. So getting enough sleep, eating the right foods, that kind of stuff. So kindness to self is all those self-care sort of, which has become a bit of a buzzword, but that's, that's sort of the umbrella of, of kindness to self. And then the second stream is kindness to others, right? How do we treat each other? And I say in calm and in conflict, right? So how do we treat other people both when things are going well and when things are not going well? Um, And there's sort of the framework around that. How do we deal with, you know, when kids take things and when kids argue with us and that kind of thing. And then the third stream for me is kindness to the planet. And that's, I have a deep commitment to sustainability. Um, I ran an outdoor and play-based preschool. It was really important to me that kids interacted with nature. Um, But even on a sort of small level, kindness to the planet is about not taking more than you need, right? At dinner, Mm -hmm. for example, or when we don't finish our lunch, there's some like things there that are we taking care of the planet, right? Are we, what kinds of things can we do to be helpful and, and generous and those kinds of things. So it's rooted in three areas and what it does for parents. So when I teach the language of kindness in my course, what I teach you is how do we balance parent as problem solver? Because the truth is we are constantly in problem solving mode, right? I think mm-hmm. most parents can agree that we're probably fairly exhausted by our constant problem solving because we want our kids to be awesome and amazing. We do, right? We totally want them to be awesome, amazing. And we spend a lot of time thinking about it. And we spend a lot of time correcting them, right? Because we want them to be great humans. We want them to have a good moral compass. We want to fix their mistakes. We also want them to respect us and respect other adults and those kinds of things. So we're constantly problem solving their nuances, right? What can what that can do for us is we kind of get stuck a bit in a negative headspace sometimes because we're always problem solving. So what the language of kindness does, it says, hey, this is important. It is important to raise awesome human beings. It's also really important to tell them that they're awesome human beings. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that? We need to do positive reinforcement, right? And everybody talks about 80-20, right? They're like, yeah, you got to do 80-20, 80 positive, 20 negative. And most parents I talk to are like, 
are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I can't say I'm at that, that ratio, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's unrealistic. I totally do. When people are like, do 80, 20, I'm like, how about 50, 50? Can we mm-hmm. just work on 50? And that's, that's where I'm at. I'm about balance, balance of emotional suppression to too much emotions, right? We need some tools. That's the balance. When it comes to, you know, problem solving our children's behavior, we have the feedback and we also have the positive. So for me, it's not about 80, 20, it's about balance. Where's the, I'm going to say 50, 50, if I have to put a number on it. So what the language of kindness does is it helps you call out kindness. It helps you build a baseline in your house for a way of talking, for a way of thinking, And then ultimately what it does is in those very tricky moments, when we all talk too much, because we as adults want our children to understand why we have rules, we want our children not to be upset with us, right? So we often over talk in very tricky moments because we're trying to justify and explain. They're in dino brain where they can't learn and we're talking, right? So what the language of kindness does is it gives you some clear, concise language for those tricky moments. It brings you down to three to five words, which is what you want to do. A tricky moment, you don't want more than one sentence. Most people are like, really? One sentence? Holy cow. Yeah, I definitely um, very, uh, I do over talk when we're in those moments, but I'm trying to explain, but yeah, I can't wait to hear what yeah. you have to say. I do too. I, I do too. Actually, it's it's part of how I started this is I was I was being observed by um, an educational an educational psychologist, and he's like, "Why, when you're with your children, you're super wordy, <laughs> and when you're with your your school kids, you're clear, concise, and you follow up after. Why do you do that?" And I was like, "Well, I need my kids to understand." I just, and he said, "But." They can't understand in the moment. And you understand that principle because you don't do it with your preschool kids. You only do it with your kids. And I was like, aha. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a really interesting cycle of realizing, you know, as an educator brain, I was parenting my kids differently than they could developmentally handle. And so part of the language of kindness is like, here's the clear, concise language for the moment. And let's follow up after or before. I have a system called front loading, which helps parents start to think about how am I setting myself up for success? How am I setting my kids up for success? So the language of kindness is a whole bunch of of layers and it's really sort of created with, I mean, it took me almost 10 years to develop it. Um, It's created with a lot of layers to help you make everyday parenting easier. It helps you tick off all the boxes. Am I using positive reinforcement? Am I building self-confidence? Am I talking too much in tricky moments? Am I following up? Am I developing the moral compass? Like I could go on for hours. It does all those things because when I had to navigate a preschool room of kids, I needed clear, concise language, but I still had a very firm belief that kindness matters, even in difficulty. So it's built around that concept. I love that. I love that. So yeah, there's things to do in the moment and then there's things to do before and after. It doesn't have to all happen at once. That moment's gone. You've dealt with it. It's like, no, we can we can spread this out and, and recognize they're going to be in that dino brain <laughs> and our words exactly. aren't going to be that useful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because the, the really tricky part, um, and, and I get into this in detail in my course, is in the moment, one of the things that happens is some unintentional reinforcement. So 
when we're building a relationship with our children around tricky moments, something we can do is unintentionally reinforce these really tricky moments because it becomes an expectation that my parent is going to speak to me until I calm down in this way. Right. And so we, it becomes this like reverse connection situation versus, okay, there's going to be a clear, concise answer. We're going to have a clear, concise tool that we're going to use. And that big conversation, we're going to have that when I'm not in dino brain. So I'm not going to have these big, difficult, I call them tornado feeling moments because I have, I no longer have the same expectation of what my parent is going to do in the moment. I am learning to build some tools. I am learning because for me, the goal of regulation is help young children develop skills, build those skills so that when they go to school where you are not, they have some skills. Because when kids go to school, there's a lot of kids in the classroom and very few adults. Mm-hmm. So for me, a really, really important part of what I do is help parents with that coexistence trajectory, co-regulation, tools for skill building, that when we go to that bigger environment, we don't need the adult to help us with our everyday feelings. We only need an adult for those big, big, big situations. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Definitely. And then the words to use, do we need to sign up for your program to get them? Or what are some good words and bad words to use when there's that, you called it like the tornado feeling, like when they're at their peak? Yeah. The, 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 the answer is no words, um, really clear, concise. And that comes back to that, what we were talking about with the lose your cool. So in my workshop, I talk about setting yourself up with an action plan And that applies here. So what is your action plan? What is, when do you lose your cool? When do they lose your cool? And what are you going to do? Remember, we got to say to ourselves, I'm not going to talk in the moment. I need to model breathing. Mm -hmm. You can't talk while you're breathing. Yeah. Right. So we're not going to talk at all. We should be, we should have less than one sentence in a difficult moment, right? seems like you're having some big feelings. We need to breathe. seems like you're having some big feelings. Let's make lemonade. Okay. Yeah. So that's the sentences. It seems like, yeah, you're having the big feelings is kind of the sentence. Okay. For me, that's my sort of, that's my big area. Um, and I, I have that as my go-to phrase to avoid labeling children's feelings for them. That's a hundred percent where I evolved that to. I used to label kids feelings for them. I used to say, it seems like you're really angry right now. You need to breathe. Seems like you are really frustrated. I used to do that. And I, I just, I had such a negative experience with the feedback. And when I really looked into Dan Siegel's work, I realized that it's because it doesn't work if it's not resonating with you. So me telling a child how they feel wasn't resonating with that child. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were, and, and it's funny, when you start to teach kids to get really good at their emotional vocabulary, they'll correct you. I'm not angry, I'm frustrated. And in your mind, you're like, okay, what's the difference? For them, it's a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the nuance, the control. They want control over their feelings because they're personal to them. So that's where I, that, that, the, excuse me, (laughs) that's where that language evolved from. Right. This idea that when I labeled children's feelings, 50% of the time it backfired. Mm -hmm. I was like, hmm, what's going on here? Let me dig into this very important, you know, that work is so important. Name entertainment is super important. I was like, let me dig in here aha, the piece that's not emphasized, which he does talk about, he does talk about it in his work, is that if it doesn't resonate with you, it doesn't work for regulation. So how do we make it resonate? We got to teach kids to be able to identify how they're feeling, not how we tell them they're feeling. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, then that's one more thing we're we're controlling, which is like, yeah, that can, when we try to control, it definitely things backfire. Yeah. So. <laughs> Nobody likes that. <laughs> We've all been there. So sure. I love all this information. Um, I just wanted to touch on, we'll probably have to have you back on for another episode <laughs> because we were going to discuss um, the importance of consent and all around right. my body, my choice. So this could be a whole other topic, but are there some, some starting points to help kids, um, become aware of, you know, protecting themselves and not crossing the line with others, a way to identify if there's risks for assault or, you know, unwanted touch. I think, I mean, the segue here between emotions and consent, um, and this is how it evolved in my preschool actually, is that I'm a firm believer in teaching children to speak, to speak their feelings, to speak about their bodies, to be able to identify how they're feeling internally and externally. So at the very core, and as you mentioned, like consent is, I did a whole, you know, 40 minute presentation for Mamas and Co. The, the root of emotional well-being and physical well-being is being able to identify. So physical well-being, you have to be able to identify all your body parts, And with their correct anatomical names, like that's a super important part, just like feelings. You need to be able to identify your feelings in order to tell people how you're feeling in order to solve the feelings, right? In order to be able to to get at the root of that. So it's the same for consent, right? At the very core, it's about language. And I think one of the biggest messages in this area is sometimes we as adults avoid what I call hard conversations or big topics because we think we're protecting children. And the reality is when we avoid conversations that they're actually thinking about or know about, whether it's just their own thinking and observing of the world or from school or daycare, it tells them that their caring adult, it's taboo. It's not an okay conversation. And that's actually the opposite of what we want. We want children to say, hey, I can tell this caring adult anything about anything. So it's really important to have conversations, uncomfortable conversations. And if, you, if you're kind of thinking about sort of consent or social emotional well-being, which is kind of what we've been talking about most of this conversation, and you're not sure, let's say a child asks you something, you can say, you know what, I don't have the answer for you right now, but I'm going to get it right? I'm going to find it. I'm going to find the right book. I'm going to find the right person to talk to. Um, Because I think, I know, I don't think, I know that a lot of kids think they can't talk about things that are bothering them that they see because they think their their caring adult doesn't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a huge part of the the early consent conversations. Can I can I use my language and am I allowed to have this conversation or do, do I have a bit of a feeling that the caring adults around me don't want to talk about it? Yeah, I think that's how we grew up in relation to like sex ed, right? It was mm-hmm. like, let's not talk about it. You're going to plant ideas. I went to a Catholic school, not okay. a Catholic high school, but it was like, right. let's not talk about it. Abstinence, yes. like yeah. you're going to plant these ideas in their head. But, you know, kids are going to have questions. I was exposed to different books and TV shows and I didn't quite, you know, understand and realize it was something I could discuss with adults or or yeah. teachers or things like that or bring it up myself. So I think that's a very important point that you raise is opening up the door for those conversations. So it's not like, you know, an embarrassment or taboo, as you said. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because people used to say to me in my preschool, something would happen. That's, you know, the word stupid would come into the vocabulary, right? And all the parents are trying to figure out where did the word come from? Was it from preschool? What is from? And they used to say to parents, just, you know, while you're driving to, to daycare tomorrow, just listen to the radio. Mm-hmm. Just, just listen. Or while you're walking from the TTC down Bloor Street, just have a listen because your kids are listening to everything. I'm like, just have a listen to the conversations around you. Just have a listen to what's being said on the radio. Kids hear stuff everywhere, mm-hmm. but they don't understand it unless you help them. That's the the real thing, right? So yeah, they picked up words that parents are like, we don't use this. Nobody uses this. I'm like, oh, the radio says it quite a bit, actually. Or, you know, the kids walking down the street said it like six times. Um, and when kids think that it's like, a bad thing. That's where they, that's where, that's actually where real problems happen is this idea of like, I shouldn't talk about this. I can't ask these questions. Um, and it's actually not protecting them. It's doing exactly the opposite of what you were hoping. Um, it's with good intention that people say, you know, they're too young to hear this. There are age appropriate ways to have every conversation, mm-hmm. usually with a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so follow Tara. <laughs> what she's talking about get those books (laughs) I love it I can't wait to see your book list either so I'll keep checking for when that's available but um, anything else you wanted to share before we well first we're also going to talk about just how people can connect with you and if you could review your offers again but do you feel like you covered everything in terms of the questions or topics we discussed I I think people are probably a little overwhelmed (laughs) You gave, yeah, you were, it was a really good deep dive. So I have some really good tools I'm going to start to implement. Not over talking. I I see you're having big feelings, not like it seems like you're anxious right now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, save those, save those uh, identifying for other conversations. Not abandon them just for periods of, I call it for periods of calm and connection. That's right. And I'm going to incorporate more breathing and calm moments. We had a good routine with like doing some meditations before bed, but then he was so distracted and we just gave up, but there's other ways to do it. It doesn't have to be before bed if that's not the right time. Yeah. No, butterfly breathing is amazing first thing in the morning, actually. Oh, that's great. great time. Yeah. Okay. I'll give that a try tomorrow. Or morning. like before bath time is another great time in bath Oh, is yes. a great time to practice breathing. Um, cause Love they're, it. you know, in the water. Yeah. Great. Okay. So lots of good ways to, to fit that in. And then if you can remind us of your offerings and how people can connect and follow you, connect sure. with you and follow you. Yep. So on my website, taragrata.ca, so www.taragratto.ca is where you will find my free workshop on losing your cool. It's also, if you look under the workshops tab, anytime I have live, so I have a live workshop coming up on transitions. I'm going to be talking to the seven and under crowd and the eight plus crowd about why it's so hard to get out the door, why it's so hard <laughs> to turn off the television. I need why that. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be talking about the developmental differences between the sort of seven and under and eight plus, because there's actually something that happens. Some people say they're like, at eight, everything goes out the door. I'm like, aha. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be speaking about that. So that's all on my website. And then on IG, I'm, I'm pretty active with sharing books and just little tips, like the easy accessible tips. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I've checked out your Instagram 
program and it's like bite-sized, digestible, yeah, but, that's the idea. but effective. So I really appreciate that. So thank you. And now we'll move to the next part of the podcast. So we'll go through our super mom moment, our mama mess up and our mama must have. So I can go first for the super mom moment. So it actually is related to after hearing your workshop, I got the Rissy's No Kissies book from the library as well as oh, My yeah. Body Belongs to Me. <laughs> So I found at first I thought Stuart wasn't going to be really interested, but I read it to him one time and then he saw the books on the shelf and he kept asking for them again. And it started a good conversation in the Rissies No Kissies. It's this lovebird that's, you know, is different from the other lovebirds in their family because it doesn't want to give people kisses, just wants yeah. to give them hugs. Um, so recognizing not all kids are going to express emotions in the same way or even, you know, yes. having touch and contact. And then the My Body Belongs to Me is about where a child unfortunately is, you know, touched in his private parts, as they say, from his uncle's friend. And it starts a conversation about, you know, how it's not the kid's fault and what are some, some ways to cope with that. So Stuart was open to discussing those two what? topics after reading them. And he still wants to keep reading the books over and over. So I'll probably buy them. Amazing. I just got them in the library because I'm like, I'll see if he, you know, see how it goes. Yeah. But, so thank you for those recommendations. That's my super mom moment following up it. on something I, I learned. Love it. because he's awesome katie house wrote that book and super amazing there's actually an ig live between us just before christmas oh no way um, talking about that book and there's there's also a blog so i have a blog on all of these topics on my website i'll check it out (laughs) (laughs) awesome and then what's your super mom moment tara my super mom moment well (laughs) when I think every day is a super mom moment. Truthfully, I think mm-hmm. just, you know, balancing being a small business owner and um, getting the kids all the things they need. I'm going to say that's my super mom. Moment. I love it. That's like, yeah, that's the <laughs> ongoing super mom moment. Right? The, the, the every day. <laughs> you deserve a cape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Love it. And then I know we're both doing a great job, but we'll go through our mama mess up. So mine, well, I don't know if it's something the way I presented the My Body Belongs to Me book, because now Stuart's kind of taken it and run with it in a different direction. So if I'm mm. going to put sunscreen on, he's like, it's my body. I get to decide. Oh, and I'm like, yes. well, you're going to get a sunburn again. Then I get wordy and explain. Right. <laughs> so he's yes. kind of like saying things that he doesn't want to do because of it, but I'm sure there's a strategy. I'm going to listen to some of your courses, so. <laughs> but I there guess is. he's empowered to be in control of his body. Oh, I love it. It's, it's That's one of those like mixed things. You're like, this is great, except it's not. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's the difference between like safety and awareness, right? My job as your parent is to protect your body's safety and sunscreen is a safety concern. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way to tackle that. Okay, so great. Building out that sort of little, the definition of uh Yes. Okay. So that's a conversation we'll have. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a safe, my job is to keep you safe. And this is part of keeping you safe. Okay, great. It's like, so that's, uh, so in my workshop, I talk about safe touch and unsafe touch, right? And that's where we talk about how parents can have safe touch and what does that look like? And that's a safety, right? Me protecting your body from the sun is a safe touch Mm -hmm. uh, situation. Great. I'm glad I brought it up. Tomorrow will be easier before school. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's always, they all, you know, I mean, it shows that they're listening, right? It It shows they're listening and getting it. It's, but it's, boy, it's frustrating. I know they could use things to their advantage, but anyway, I guess that's, yeah, uh, that could be a positive. Yeah. Oh, the same thing happens to me pretty regularly. That would be my, my <laughs> mama mess up. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. My, my kids, because of what we do um, or what I do, 
regularly tell me, you tell me I can have my feelings. And uh, I'm like, yes, but we need to get going now, but I'm allowed to have my feelings. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. So sometimes I fall down the hole too, where I'm like, okay, but our feelings also means we yes. still have to get going to places. So <laughs> you can have your feelings, but there's, there's also, there's also getting there. I think the other part of my mama mess up is I mess up every single day. And the difference between me and the, my generation, the generation before me is that I own it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't handle this well. I'm going to yeah. use losing your cool as a great example, because I don't believe that anybody can never lose their cool. I, mm-hmm. I actually don't think it's possible. Um, where I might say, you know what? I was super unkind. Losing my cool was really unkind. And I said, and did some unkind things. And I just want to apologize for that. So I think part of my mama mess ups is owning them and, and using them as a way of saying it's okay to make mistakes. Cause I, I didn't grow up feeling I could make mistakes. I was a perfectionist to the max. Um, so every day I try to show that it's okay mm-hmm. and, and how I fix them. Well, that's, a, that's turning it into a super mom moment. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that wasn't the intention. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, that makes total sense. That's a great way to approach it, right? We all make mistakes more than yeah. once a day and it's how we respond and, and deal with it is what matters. Yeah. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. And then we'll share a mama must have. So mine's going to be my library card. So Stuart has oh, so much fun going yeah. to the library and picking up books and DVDs and they even give you cool. little activity bags. So for yes. different age groups. So then there's little things you can make or different crafts you can do. So my library card is my mama must have. What's yours? Mine is my chalk wall. Nice. So I have a wall in my, in my kitchen that is the whole wall is painted. Um, I am a huge user of visual schedules and I would not survive without them. So there's things on like having to finish certain things, responsibilities are on there, homeworks on there. It changes every single day. That's why it's a chalk wall. So there's certain things that have to happen before tech for fun, for example. There's certain responsibilities unloading the dishwasher. So there's little boxes that need to be ticked off. And it's how I juggle working, running the house and all the good things. So if I didn't have a chalk wall, I wouldn't survive. Oh, wow. I love that <laughs> idea. Do you have pictures of it on your Instagram? Yes, they do. <laughs> okay, well, great. So everybody check that out. I'm going to have to brainstorm if we're able yeah. to do that in our kitchen. Do you do it like first thing in the morning you fill it out yes, or at night? Yes, do yeah. it every morning. It's every super morning. not fancy. Actually, I think I wonder if it's still, I had an IG, um, one of those, you know, those saved, the okay. saved, because um, during the pandemic, I showed a lot of people how to use it so they could juggle a virtual school. Oh, and work. Nice, nice. Um, so it's there. And then I also have it on, I have a blog. I don't think it's gone up on my, my, my website's a week old, my new one. So it will be there soon. So check back. I will make sure that gets there in the next few days. So by the time this goes live there, there is one on there and it's um, how to use visual schedules. So oh, great. That sounds so yeah. valuable. So I'm going to get to start doing that. I love it. <laughs> so you shared such amazing information, Tara. Thank you for taking the time out for joining us. Like I mentioned, we'll have to get you back on to discuss yeah, no consent <laughs> and all. There's a whole host of other topics we can discuss, but we'll link to all of your information in the show notes. Amazing. And then 
Yeah, great. Thank you so much. And then for our listeners, Dr. Tony's next hypnobirthing session for expectant parents looking to decrease fear and anxiety around labor and birth is happening this summer. So you can join her at www.hypnobirthingcalgary.com forward slash register. And then I started a new meetup group called Wild Women Adventures Toronto. So if you want to get out into nature, connect with other women and push yourself out of your comfort zone, we'll link to that meetup. You can just search for Wild Wild Women Adventures Toronto. We're going to have lots of fun things in the works, a new moon workshop, a sunrise or sunset stand-up paddleboard, paddle, a treetop trekking adventure. So, so join us if that resonates with you. Um, so you can email with, you can email us or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love you to subscribe, leave us a review and a five-star rating. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also support us by visiting our Patreon page. Please tell your perimenopausal mama friends about us too. So stay safe and healthy everybody until next time. Thanks Tara. Bye.